I definitely felt obligated to fill all the space of our big house. For me, minimalism was kind of the first aspect of self-discovery because I think I realized I had been working to accumulate all the right things. I wanted to get all the stuff. I was like, if I have all the right stuff, everything will be right. And I've done a lot of work on it. And I realized, you know, I went through divorces as a kid, which I think a lot of people have. And I would see the houses in the 90s, the like the Home Alone house and um, Father of the Bride. And in my mind, it was like, oh, the house equals the home. Thought the stuff would bring all of the true emotional things I wanted. And so I started to have this realization that, oh, that was that was wrong. And it's not working because I have all the stuff. And it didn't, I don't feel how I was hoping to feel. I had this strong desire to pause. So I talk about how I stopped shopping because up until that point, shopping had been something that was my hobby, something I did all the time. And I started to just let go of stuff because I didn't want to be defined by it anymore. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. On today's episode, I spoke to fellow podcaster Renee Bennis about the profound connection between minimalism and self-discovery, particularly for women navigating overwhelming internal clutter. Renee shares her experience of downsizing her home and the challenges she faced in getting her family on board. She discusses the impact of minimalism on her mindset and emotions and how it has allowed her to slow down and focus on what truly matters. Renee also addresses misconceptions about minimalism and offers advice for those interested in starting their own minimalist journey. And with that, I think we're ready to get into this conversation with Renee Bennis. Well, Renee, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. We are going to talk today about minimalism as a gateway to self-discovery, which I feel like is true of my life, but I'm curious how you got there and how you encourage women in this way. So before we get there, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll get started. Yeah, so I'm Renee. I went through the process of starting minimalism back in 2014, so it's been 10 years. and it wound up leading my family and I to downsizing our house by 2000 finished square feet. And after we downsized, I started documenting my journey on my blog, the fun size life. And it's just kind of spilled into social media and podcast um, and just working to really encourage other people and let people know that it's okay to kind of simplify and live this downsized, smaller version of life that kind of goes against everything. You know, a lot of us have been told is an idea of success. Absolutely. But you didn't just get there. You weren't just like, okay, now we're going to move. Now we're going to downsize. There was a story in between when you first discovered minimalism and first started applying it to your life to getting everyone on board with the move. So tell me a little bit more about that time. So unfortunately, it's one of those things where, you know, we didn't realize we had a problem until we had the problem before us. We wound up buying a house in the neighborhood we always wanted to live in. It was right in a cul-de-sac. It was perfect. It had four bedrooms, everything we thought we ever wanted. And I think my husband and I were both had those kind of gut instincts saying something was off or something was wrong, but you kind of ignore it because it's, well, it's everything I ever wanted. This is the stuff I always wanted. And after about a year or so, it started to cause friction in our marriage. You know, my husband really felt this need to always keep up with, with the literally keeping up with the Joneses. 
the, the neighbors had great lawns. He wanted to keep the lawn perfect. We always felt that need to update the house or whatnot. So every weekend he was doing projects and he was coming home stressed out because uh, the pressure of having to pay for a more expensive mortgage. So it causes started to cause those problems. Um, I was trying to work extra hours to make up more money so that he wouldn't be as stressed. And what I wound up doing was kind of taking a step back from my role as it had been as his wife. So up until that point, I always wanted to spend my time with him. We were like best friends. And I always wanted to make sure he was happy or in a good mood, you know, and I used to be able to easily kind of shift his mood if he was having a bad day and his moods weren't shifting. He was just constantly stressed and depressed. So I took a step back and said, okay, I can't put that responsibility on myself anymore. I can't be responsible for his happiness. So I started, I had a girlfriend say, you know, I've been reading a lot of books from the library lately, which wasn't something I was doing at the time. I wasn't reading. I was a, maybe a documentary watcher at best. Uh, and I didn't even know where to start, but I had heard someone mention the name Wayne Dyer, who is like a spiritual self-help author. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll start there. I headed to the library, bought, got, grabbed some Wayne Dyer books. And they just, from that point, it was like a spiral of just my mindset shifting around everything I had valued in my life up until that point. What was like a general message that you heard from him? The one that really stands out for me was that in one of his first books that I read, he talks about how if you have that feeling that you're meant for more in life that you are, and that it's okay to want an extraordinary life versus an ordinary life. Uh, and I felt like he had uncovered my deepest, darkest secret somehow. I think I always grew up with a little bit of self-doubt. I had a lot of self-doubt. I wasn't really good in high school. I struggled to make good grades. So one of the things we hear is if you don't get to college, you're not going to do well. <laughs> you know, everything's going to be awful for you. So I lived by that narrative. Like, I guess my life won't go well. Things won't go well for me. And so I think um, I tried to accumulate all the things that I thought meant my life was a success. You know, I, I started my own photography career and it was going well. I had the husband. I had the I had the career. I had the house. Um, but I really had this feeling in my life, like I was still playing it small and having him say that to me, that I could have this vision, this feeling, and I wasn't even sure what it was, um, kind of inspired me to dream a little bit bigger than just accumulating all the right ordinary life pieces. Yeah, no, it does. I have been talking a lot about this kind of on the podcast, but also just debriefing with friends in general of in my mid thirties and just kind of reevaluating again, what happiness means. What does it mean to have joy? I mean, to feel successful because sometimes when we find ourselves with even a little bit of success, we're like, okay, it's not enough. I want to get to the next position. And it's like, well, maybe I'll never be happy then because this isn't where my happiness is found. And it could be being the best PTO room mom. It could be whatever, fill in the blank for you. But I think we really do have to get down to that place of where if everything was stripped away, our possessions, um, and we were just left with the lives that we've crafted with our families. Like, is that enough? Is that enough for us? And, um, I think about that a lot because we recently have moved and we've moved into more space. And I will tell you, my husband and I, uh, we think it's too much. It's too much space. We wanted the land. We didn't want the house. Um, like the house is lovely. I'm, I'm grateful, but, um, 
I think that I'm finally getting this insight into people that have messaged me about living in uh, so much square footage. Like I can't keep on top of it. And I totally hear you. And I am glad for the insight. But again, I don't necessarily see us selling because I never, I'm like, moving was awful. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to move anytime soon. But honestly, just like shutting off parts of the house, like not filling the rooms with things. I just did a reel on this. Like you don't have to fill rooms just because you have them. You don't have to fill the closet just because you have it, the shelves, the the pantry space. Um, But we think that we have it. So why wouldn't we? And we think that that will make us feel better. So yeah, it's just this like cyclical thing that I think a little bit of society does influence it, but it's also like maybe like you said, you weren't great in high school. And so you wanted this, what was perceived as better, and then it left you feeling empty. So I want to talk about that self-discovery element and how you feel like minimalism specifically living with less has led to more self-discovery. Yeah, I think, you know, you're so right. I love that you have that mindset because I didn't, I definitely felt obligated to fill all the space of our big house. Uh, For me, minimalism was kind of the first aspect of self-discovery because I think I realized I had been working to accumulate all the right things. It was like, I wanted to get all the stuff. I was like, if I have all the right stuff, everything will be right. And I've done a lot of work on it more. And I realized, uh, you know, I went through divorces as a kid, which I think a lot of people have. And I would see the houses in the 90s, the like the home alone house and um, father of the bride. And in my mind, it was like, oh, the house equals the home. You know, I thought the stuff would bring all of the true emotional things I wanted. And so I started to have this realization that, oh, that was, that was wrong. And it's not working because I have all the stuff. And it didn't, I don't feel how I was hoping to feel. So I kind of just wanted this. I had this strong desire to pause. So I talk about how I stopped shopping because up until that point, shopping had been something that was my hobby, something I did all the time. Um, and I started to just let go of stuff because I didn't want to be defined by it anymore. And I kind of almost wanted to create this space to allow myself to figure out who I was. Um, cause I'd been so busy kind of covering up who I really was and I didn't even really know. What did it look like internally? So we're talking about the things in your home, getting rid of possessions, allowing the letting go of those things. But what did that look like? Did minimalism influence your mindset or just your emotions? How did that all work out? I think all of it, you know, maybe not all at once, but it's probably started with a lot of emotions as you're letting go of the things. I think a lot of emotions come up, a lot of fears around letting go, um, a lot of uncertainty of, you know, what if I need this again type feelings. But, and then it began to spiral into my mindset. As I started to create space with the stuff, I had a clutter-free space. And then I started to want to apply it to my schedule and to my mindset, you know, where I I used to feel obligated to say yes to anybody. I was a stay-at-home mom and a homeschooling mom. So if someone would say, hey, can you watch my kids for three hours? Even though I already felt overwhelmed, I was that person who would say, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because I'm home. I can, quote unquote, do it. Um, And so kind of applying minimalism into my mindset meant going, allowing myself to create that space in my brain and my heart as far as what I was doing and saying, I'm so sorry, we've got such a full day already. Just because I'm home doesn't mean I'm obligated to say yes to everybody, you know? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. 
I want to go back. So you were talking about your relationship with your husband. I want to hear the evolution of that because to downsize, that meant he had to be on board. So what do those conversations look like? I, yeah, I love sharing about this. Someone asked me not too long ago because I never really took the time to think about it. Uh, he's very much we're the polar opposite kind of couple where I am like, oh my gosh, this idea sounds so fun. Let's just run with it. And he's the kind of person who, you know, wants to sit and chew on something and probably never take action on it because so many things could go wrong. So I was truly, obviously I had been working at decluttering and reading the books. Um, so there had been a lot of you know, where I was picking up pieces that I didn't realize I was picking up is kind of what was happening. And I was sitting in my reading chair and I just thought, oh my gosh, like we should just sell the house. Like, why am I trying to hang on to this thing? And so I immediately got up off the, off my chair and I went to go find him. He was up in our bedroom. And I remember kind of telling myself like, okay, don't bring your super excited energy. Don't make this sound like it's just a crazy whim idea. You know, give him the practical reasoning behind why I feel this way. So I kind of stepped in and slowly approached him with it. And I I said, you know, we've been really overwhelmed with the payment. You, you feel this obligation to keep up with work so that you can afford the payment. You feel the burden on your shoulders. We're always busy. We're not spending time with our kids. And I told him, I said, everything I ever wanted, you know, kind of speaking on your point earlier, all I ever wanted was like a happy home, a happy family. And our family unit feels like it's struggling trying to keep up with all of this. So I said, what if we downsize the house? And it was like, you could see all the questions in his mind, but his face lit up. Like he was like, oh my God, like he was so excited. But of course he, he came in with the, well, you know, we just refinanced it and we just did this. And all the excuses. I said, I know. And I said, I know it's going to suck. And I know it's that co- sunken cost fallacy. You know, I said, I know. I said, I know we're going to have things. We're probably not going to make as much money as we want. It's not going to be the greatest thing, but Maybe if we like this could be a reset. If we just get rid of it, we can, you know, gather some momentum after and try to recoup our losses, you know? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you've taken what you've learned, you guys have downsized, and now you use your platform to help other women make the same acknowledgement or help guide them into the same types of reasoning behind why you did what you did. So what do you notice that other people are parts of your community? What are you noticing that they're saying that seems similar to your journey? It was so scary for me. I, when I started my podcast, I was just sharing like how we were paying off debt. As I learned things, I shared those things. Uh, so the biggest, scariest thing for me was actually going onto a, a large blog platform, um, a woman who had a, a huge following and sharing our story. Because it felt like such a failure story. You know, like we got in over our heads. We went too big. We, it didn't work. Um, and I remember the day it went live, I just hid under my covers. It was like, no one's in my room. No one's looking at me. It's not like there's paparazzi everywhere. But it felt so vulnerable and so scary to share it. But, of course, there were people who were like, well, that was stupid. Why did you do that? You know, people love to interject those mean things. But there were so many messages I got from people who were so loving and compassionate. And I've received so many direct messages from people, emails saying, thank you for saying this. I've been feeling this. People who either bought the big house and decided it was wrong. Like people I personally know who came out of the woodwork and said, we, we're moving. We're moving to a, uh, you know more land, smaller home. Thank you for sharing your story. And people who said we were about to buy the big house, but we felt nervous. 
thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, and feeling that realization that maybe my shitstorm <laughs> could actually help improve someone's life or stop them from making those same mistakes was really enough momentum to say, okay, I need to keep sharing, even if it's scary. So what does it look like now? You kind of mentioned how you don't say yes to everything anymore. You allow yourself some margin, which I'm getting better about doing. What does slow living look like to you? I think slow living was incidentally all part of it. Uh, I love that they gave a, a term for it because I didn't know what I was doing. It was something I was doing, but I didn't, you know, and it's not necessarily slow living like homesteading. That's not the version of it for me necessarily. It was more like a healing of my nervous system, giving myself permission to slow down. And that's something I'm still actively working on. Um, because I think for me, shopping addiction, always buying things, always accumulating was my way of just constant distraction. So when you create the space, you kind of take away the distraction. And I something I've shared on my social media that I've also heard a lot of feedback from was once I got done decluttering, because I probably finished up my major decluttering in this downsized house, this smaller home. I remember those days I'd be stressed and I wanted to go declutter something. I wanted to get rid of stuff because that became my new coping mechanism when it had previously been shopping. And when there was nothing left to declutter, like I, everything I had, I was, I was content with what we had. And I had to sit with the discomfort of just whatever uncomfortable feeling I was feeling in that moment and learning to sit with that, those uncomfortable emotions, those uncomfortable feelings or thoughts that are racing through my head kind of forced me to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and has allowed me to learn to actually release those emotions rather than just distracting myself from them. And for me, that's slow living. It's slowing down and not constantly trying to distract myself. Um, my next question I was going to ask, you believe that there are misconceptions surrounding minimalism and its potential for self-discovery. Do you think that people get it wrong? There are so many misconceptions around minimalism, and that's why I struggled to talk about it for so long. I kind of had hesitation to share about it on social media because I even had this idea in my mind, like, if I'm going to talk about minimalism, I have to talk about the stuff or I have to have this beautifully laid out curated minimalist home. Uh, you know, it has to be a magazine worthy. Um, and you know, we have to me now we have a normal amount of things. I don't live in a scarce home where we don't, we have like one single sheet on our bed or, a, you know, one blanket on every bed in our home. We live normal. We just don't over accumulate like we did before. We kind of have a set amount. So I, I really hesitated to talk about minimalism because I think it's so focused around the stuff. And what I've tried to do is share a message where it's, it's not about the stuff. It's about you. So if we can let go of our need for that stuff, if we can let go of our obsession with the stuff, maybe we get this opportunity to focus more on ourselves and the bigger picture for life. Because I do, and that's one thing I always hear is, um, I was thinking about that this morning, so it's funny that you ask. Um, you know, when people find out I'm a minimalist, they're like, how many pairs of pants should I own? So what does your closet look like? I was like, it doesn't matter what my closet looks like. What, what do you want? You figure out what looks for what you want your closet to look like. You know, I think um, we can re-put that focus so much on the stuff 
um, that I think it takes away from the point or at least what it's been for me. Yeah. And it's funny. I was going through stuff this morning and it's funny the longer that you, I don't want to say practice minimalism, but the longer that you've changed your mindset to what you value or what you want, the longer you practice whatever that mentality is, it's funny to see how much less you can live with because clothes has been an area that I have never been able to totally whittle down. I usually try and put boundaries around how I shop, which I've talked about before on the podcast. But this morning I was going through some things and it was a hoodie and this workout shirt that I really like and I wore all the time. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to let this stuff go. I don't need this anymore. I have plenty. I don't need this anymore. When we allow ourselves just to let go, I still like them. There's nothing wrong with them. But I'm just like, no, I think I have enough and I don't need to wear those anymore. So I don't have a statement to make with that. It's just interesting. Yeah, no, I totally relate to that. I'm kind of going through a weird thing where I feel like, uh, my, maybe it's kind of part of that self growth where I feel like I have shifted. I have new things that I'm reaching for in life, new things that I maybe want to put my sights toward. Uh, because for, like I said, I was a stay at home mom. I did homeschooling with my kids, which my wardrobe was lots of leggings and comfy clothes. And, and now I'm kind of shifting into this idea of maybe, you know, getting out and doing like engagements. And so I'm going, Oh God, I have to like buy different clothes. And it's such a weird thing. So my closet feels more full than ever. And I can't wait to, I'm trying to give myself grace and understanding, like I'm in a transition phase. I need to let this transition happen. And then I can whittle my closet back down. Cause I hate waking up in the morning and like trying to pick out an outfit. You probably know. It's so nice to be like, grab the same old, old reliables and just put them on. Cause I like them and they feel good. Uh, and now I'm kind of in that I have those moments where I'm trying on multiple things and I hate it so much. Yeah, I think that's something I've noticed that's helped me stay rational and uh, intentional with my clothing. That when I look back, if you were even to track or document at all, if you look back to what you wear for a month, you see that it's probably the same few things. At least it is for me because I am. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I homeschool as well. But I would say for the majority of women, it seems like they're wearing the same things. And so it feels like, okay, I can let go of these other things because I'm not realistically wearing them anyways. If I'm just keeping them for the what-if moments, then why am I not doing it now? What if is now? What if is date night tonight? What if is going to brunch with my friends? So if I'm not wearing them, I'm not making those choices. We just have these ideas of what our future self is going to do. And if we just allow ourselves to be comfortable with who we are now and what we're doing now, and if you don't like that, if you don't like where you are now, then make changes. And it is easier said than done, but that has helped me release some of that hold that I felt over me with some of my things. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because that was kind of my first step, which I didn't share. My first step with minimalism was, and this was again, like I had been reading something and I got up and was like, I'm going to go declutter my closet. And for me, it was giving myself permission to just wear those things I really wanted to wear. And I remember I had some comfy yoga pants and like little off the shoulder tees that were just, you know, kind of felt like comfy, but still felt like they had that little bit of cute to them. Uh, And I, I remember thinking, okay, what do I always want to wear? But I would never let myself wear the things I always wanted to wear, which sounds silly. I think I felt this obligation to, I have to look nice. I have to switch up my outfits. I have to wear different things. If I just bought something new, I have to wear it. And I kind of took away that all of those have tos and just allowed myself to be 
and wear what I wanted to wear. And that was kind of my first part of self-discovery was learning what I actually like on my body was a little bit learning a little bit something about myself. Yeah. I can't remember what episode I'll go back through and link it in the show notes, but there was an episode, maybe two episodes that I did where we went deeper into the mindset behind why we keep things in our closet. So again, I'll link those in the show notes, but, um, I was thinking, I do want to also give people grace and understanding to say, realistically for me, I'm not going to wear a dress during the week and I will save those for church or date night, but it doesn't mean I'm going to get rid of them because I am wearing them, even if it's not so regular. So there is some like uh leeway there. So I don't want people to think I'm so cutthroat. It's like, if you're not wearing it once a week, you got to get rid of it. That's not what I mean. So I hope people hear there's some wiggle room here. And I think, you know, people know people that are listening. Whenever I listen to podcasts, you hear that nugget of truth that you're like, Oh, I feel some conviction there. If that's speaking to you and you know you need to address your closet, then this is your this is your sign. Yeah. You're so right. I kind of laugh about it, but I did that where I went through and decluttered anything that wasn't working or anything I wasn't wearing. But now I always keep what I call funeral pants on hand. <laughs> it sounds so sad, but I live in Minnesota, so it gets very cold. So having a simple black dress doesn't always cut it. It's too cold. But we had funerals we would attend and I never had anything to wear. So I have a pair of pants in my closet that I call my funeral pants so that I have something nice to wear to an outdoor funeral um, or, you know, outdoors during a funeral. Um, Even though they're not something I'm calling on all the time, there's something I now know that I have to keep on hand. Yeah. And again, we're speaking specifically to clothing as an expression of self. I am sure that there are other areas that you can whittle things down, but I want to talk a little bit more about practicals before we wrap up. So I feel like in certain ways, you and I are speaking somewhat broadly to our experiences with minimalism. And I want people to have steps that they can walk away and or implement these ideas in their own lives. So what advice would you offer women who are intrigued by what we're talking about? but they aren't sure where to begin. I always tell people, I think, to begin where it feels, where you feel the most ready, where it feels the easiest, whether it's decluttering or whether it's self-care or slowing down, where do you feel the most overwhelmed? You know, like I said, I hate trying to find the right clothes and I'm tossing off different things. So I started in my closet as a way that just felt like I was ready to start there. So if it comes to slowing down, if you feel overwhelmed with your schedule and it's saying, I am not going to say yes to these specific types of things anymore. And choosing to give yourself that permission to no longer take that on. Or if another thing I talk for myself on is um, exercise and working out because taking care of our bodies is a great thing. But a lot of times it can be one more thing on our to-do list that feels so overwhelming when our schedules are already busy. So where are you feeling most overwhelmed? Is it with your clutter? Is it with your schedule? Is it with the own pressure you put on yourself and then giving yourself permission to just let it go, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I want to go back to that intuition part, the feeling that we have in our gut. Again, if someone's listening and they feel a little nudge from the things that we're saying right now, don't ignore that. I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to get too spiritual about it, but I do think there's something to be said about a woman's intuition or just this knowingness that you feel a prompting of that it's time to make a change and it's time to move. Oh, absolutely. I think I ignored mine for so long and I still do on occasion. I know, but I'm constantly working on same. (laughs) Right. It's scary. Yeah. And I also know that not 
everyone is in a position to make big changes, but I think even little things that you can take control of and cultivating a more intentional life or a life with less, you might not know exactly where to start or you can't make a huge overhaul of downsizing um, your home. But what do you have control over? Maybe that's something as simple as your closet or the way the pantry's organized or how many pieces of Tupperware you have. It can be something as simple as that, that you you at least have said, I'm going to start. Oh, absolutely. Small changes are kind of the best because it takes away the fear and the pressure. You know, I didn't start by saying, I'm just going to sell this house and half the stuff in it was starting with garbage bag worth of clothes in the closet. Yeah, absolutely. That key piece is just being honest with yourself. I decluttered DVDs back in the fall and it was so hard. I had such a sentimental attachment to those DVDs because I was such a movie buff growing up. And then I realized I hadn't watched any of them in 10 years. And I was like, what am I holding on to these for? I realistically am not going to watch them because I haven't. I mean, it may have been 12 years since I've watched them. I don't even own a DVD player. So I donated them to a nursing home. And that felt really good. It was a good, um, like, I felt like they weren't necessarily just going to waste or ending up at a landfill. And you don't always have to do that with the things that you have. But I do think that some of these things we have sentimental attachment to, if we just are honest with ourselves, it makes it a lot easier. That self-discovery. Oh, absolutely. I think you can learn so much. And if, for me, even asking, like, well, you said, why am I so afraid to let go of this? Uh, That can even be just a great way to deep dive as you go through and declutter that was another way I I learned a lot about myself was why am I so afraid to let this go? And then what am I afraid is going to happen if I do? And it can kind of give you a little clue into, you know, for you, maybe it was like, you feel like you're letting go of that youth or that person that you were. It's truly a grieving process. We're not just letting go of our clothing or our stuff. A lot of times we're kind of letting go of pieces of the past or fears that we have. Absolutely. Well, Renee, where can listeners hear more from you and connect with you online? Well, I'm on all the social medias with at Renee.Bennis. Otherwise, just ReneeBennis.com. My podcast is called Unstuffed. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? A beneficial resource? Your local library has just been so huge for Um, and even having just audiobooks, if you're not someone who can sit down and read, I know my friends have told me a lot about the Libby app where you can link your, your library card and get free audiobooks, even just having good motivational podcasts like your podcast and playing kind of in the back of your mind, even if you're not fully listening, I truly believe you're absorbing the messages and the peace (laughs) that can bring with it. All right. And then my last question for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? Something I can't stop talking about specifically right now, and I think we kind of dived into it here, was how I really come to find that doing less is just the biggest key to accomplishing everything we want. And it makes doing more of the stuff we really want so much easier if we can learn how to give ourselves permission to do a little bit of less of the pressure we put on ourselves to do something or find simple ways to make tasks easier rather than harder on ourselves. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good word to finish on. So Renee, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. 
To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.